homily for the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, September 5th, 2021, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. If you were to pick up your Bible and read from the beginning, the book of Genesis contains two creation stories, you'll find, not just one. Chapter 1, the first story, is the overview, and for many is the more familiar story. God said, Let there be light, and so it was, and God saw that it was good. All of creation belongs somewhere in the timeline of that first story, and it seems to evolve, it seems to unfold in zaps from the firmament down onto the world. The second story delves into greater detail, especially regarding Adam and Eve. One of the biggest differences is how immediate and hands-on he is in chapter 2. God forms man out of the earth and breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. The image of our Creator, not standing off in the distance or seated on a lofty throne, but kneeling in the mud, resembles a child playing in the sandbox. We learn that God crafted our first parents with loving care. All of us are a product, not of chance, but of his handiwork. All of us. These are the images that come to my mind as I reflect on today's gospel. Jesus chose to deal with the deaf and mute man in a unique way because he wanted to show something to us as well. First of all, our Lord chose to make something of a fuss over this healing. He took the man aside, away from the rest, touched his face, and pronounced the phrase, Be opened. There is an outward ritual of sorts accompanying the act. As the Father shapes Adam out of the clay, so Christ lays hold of this man to restore him to health. If I were one of the apostles, I would have remembered this as a remarkable scene. To us, the build-up to this healing seems elaborate and perhaps unnecessary. After all, we're talking about the Son of God here. The only thing that seems to diminish the miracles he performs is a lack of faith on the part of the recipients. Otherwise, plenty of times, we've heard about Christ curing as many of the sick or possessed who were brought to him. The power he displays is so reliable. This is not like trying to start a jalopy snowblower which was setting unused for several years. Maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. We've seen his healing power flow so generously. It's not like we have our fingers crossed hoping Jesus will get it right this time. On this occasion, though, he engages with the deaf and mute man more demonstrably. I think the key to understanding this is recalling how attentive the Father is to our needs. In light of that truth, what Jesus did here should not appear peculiar. Another perplexing thing to us may be the Lord's pleading that no one else should find out about the healing he has worked. Hasn't he heard of marketing or advertising? In our age of shameless self-promotion, to keep a good thing under wraps may strike us as silly, or at the very least confusing. Scholars refer to this request of Jesus as the messianic secret, and numerous theories abound. 
Some say that by asking those he had healed not to spread the word about him, Jesus wanted to travel where he wished more freely, and so that people would learn about him directly from the source, without the clouds of rumors or stories preceding him. While others argue that Jesus wanted to control expectations, so that the crowds wouldn't get the wrong idea and conclude that every sick person would never get sick again. Instead, they were to see the Lord's healings as signs of the kingdom of heaven. I think that last point is right on the money. The ultimate freedom Jesus offers is from sin and antipathy against God. Such a spiritual healing remains effective long after God calls us from this life. The deaf and mute man in the gospel, who, by the way, was fortunate enough to have concerned friends who brought him to Christ, represents the tragedy of spiritual deafness and muteness. How many of the ills of our world are due largely to the spiritual deafness of those who cannot hear the still small voice of God or the plaintive cries of humanity? They are too deaf to take note of the pleas of their brothers and sisters, whether across the seas, across town, or across the street. They are too hard of hearing to catch the rumble of discontent over injustice, or to discern the thunder of approaching storms. And as for the problem of being spiritually mute, how much impact could Christians have by simply speaking out boldly against what is wrong. How many of us act at times like a person being interviewed who never goes on the record, who uses terms like caution and prudence as pretexts for our silence? When we speak with the confidence of Christ and the fire of the Holy Spirit, our words are not our own. Ask yourselves, in what areas of my life is my faith prompting me to speak out, to remind people that there are wrongs that need to be corrected and which indeed we can correct. Now, it's easy to say, I'm not going to rock the boat. But if the boat is capsized, one has to rock the boat to turn it upright again. Lastly, notice that all of today's readings allude to poverty. God will be compassionate toward the poor. He will restore sight and hearing as Isaiah prophesied, our vindication will come from him. And Jesus, his son, also showed this. The poor have a lasting advocate to turn to you. Many of you will recall hearing about a large earthquake that struck the country of Haiti a couple of weeks ago. The tragedy in Afghanistan has largely overshadowed this story in the mass media, but it nonetheless bears our attention. Sometimes we can become weary of the seemingly perpetual troubles that afflict places like Haiti. Let's work to avoid that temptation. Every person who suffers, no matter where they are, was loved into existence by God, who knit them in their mother's wombs. The bishops of the United States have requested that parishes take up a special second collection to assist the recovery efforts going on in Haiti, and to provide basic necessities to the thousands of people who have lost virtually everything in this disaster.
We will take up this collection next weekend on the 11th and 12th. Thanks in advance for your participation and generosity. Being poor in spirit means that we turn to the Spirit of the living God without hesitation. Being poor in spirit means, as St. James reminded us today in our second reading, that we do not show partiality among ourselves, but work to see one another as God sees us, although different in many ways, as equal members in dignity. All of us will stand as poor people before the judgment seat of Christ, but when we ask God to supply what we lack, we will then have all we need. Let's recall how Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Amen.